The last 20 years have been amongst the best ever in professional tennis. Roger, Rafa and Novak on the men's side have redefined the sport, while Serena has done the same for the women's game. South Africa has always been a minor producer of world-class players, but it feels like the sport went backwards until recently. We no longer host a big professional tournament, and for the first 15 years of the century, it felt like we were further than ever from the top of the sport. But over the past few years, new tennis SA CEO Richard Glover and his team have slowly started to rebuild the grassroots program and bring sponsors into the game again. Money is vital to find and nurture talent in a sport that can be financially crippling for young players and their families. I'm Craig Ray, and today it is my pleasure to welcome Richard onto the Maverick Sports Podcast. Hi, Richard. Hello, Craig. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure, and thanks for coming on. Tennis, as we know, is a, is a difficult sport, uh, you know, in terms of um, players getting into the big tournaments in Europe and so on. And uh, just, uh, Richard, if you could, just give us a little bit of a background, what you found at Tennis SA when, when you came into the job and, and, and more or less what time, uh, what year was that that you, you took over? Yeah, so I started at Tennis South Africa about three years ago, give or take a month or two, so about three years. And and look, I'm not a tennis person. I think that's the first confession I need to make on this podcast. I'm sure I'll make many, many, many confessions. But um, I'm not a tennis person. I'm probably the worst uh, worst tennis player um, listening to this podcast. I'm, I'm a dreadful player. My background is is more in, in actually in football and soccer and a bit in cricket. Um, and so yeah. I'm, I'm, I was a complete outsider coming into tennis. And And when the opportunity first came up, I wasn't – if I'm being brutally honest, I wasn't that excited because I think like many people listening to this podcast, I I had a, a perception or a view of what tennis in South Africa is. And I'm sure we'll unpack that later. So I had a pretty negative perception, if I'm being honest. Um, but then I started to look at the data in and around tennis. And I, I really believe that while tennis in this country will never be as big as the big three, rugby, cricket, soccer, I really felt in many ways that the the sport was a sleeping giant. Uh, lots of people are very still remain very interested in tennis. And there's far more tennis players in this country than people realize. They just tend to play outside of the formal structures. So for me, it was a sport that, that um, had, had fallen, fallen behind the rest of the tennis world in this country. Um, but I thought it was a, really was a sport with huge potential. Um, but that being said, I mean, we're three years into the journey. And I honestly believe it'll probably take another four to five years at least to really get the sport of tennis to where it was maybe in its so-called heyday of, of the maybe the 80s and the early 90s. And and what is that going to require? Maybe we should start with, uh, you know, what did you find? What were the real problems or the, the biggest problems you encountered when you, when you took on the role? Well, I think like many uh, Cinderella sports in South Africa, I think the biggest challenge is always financial. Um, and I think that was really a, a massive focus for both myself and the new the new board of Tennis South Africa and the team that's in place at Tennis South Africa was really to try and stabilize the finances because without money, you're never going to be able to do anything. Um, and I think that was really the biggest challenge and the biggest focus. And it's still, uh, to a degree, it still remains the biggest challenge and the biggest focus. Because let's be honest, in, in, in terms of our economy, there's really never going to be enough money for any of our sports in this country. So that, that that's really been a big focus in terms of bringing sponsors in but also increasing the number of members we have in the country because that's also quite a key revenue stream for us. So it's very much the, the, the concern and the focus has very much been on the financial side. And we have had uh, a degree of success over the last particularly 18 months to 24 months in that regard. 
So what, what is the sort of participation level? Maybe let's uh, look at that first. How many active tennis players are there in South Africa that pay uh, yearly subs to a club? Well, if, take. Yeah, so the ITF did a, a big research survey in South Africa about two years ago, and they, um, they, based on that survey, and I think it's a robust study, they, they estimate that there's close to 700,000 tennis players in this country. So their, their definition of tennis players is someone who plays the sport once a month. Um, so okay. it's, it's a fairly uh, interesting number, I think. Uh, the reality is only a fraction of that or a low percentage of that actually are official members of Tennis South Africa. So when I started at Tennis South Africa, I think we had membership uh, paying members of about 12,500. We've grown that to about 22,000. So we've, we've seen some pleasing progress, particularly in the last two years in terms of paying members. But as I say, we're, just, we're really scratching the the potential of the sport from a membership perspective. I mean, our, really our target over the next couple of years is really to get that up to 40,000 paying members. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing with tennis, I suppose, is it is an individual sport. So, uh, you know, talented players might have to go and, and, and um, continue their education in Spain or the USA or somewhere like that. How does um, Tennis South Africa, first of all, how do you try and identify talent? Where are you looking for talent? And once you do, how do you, you nurture that young, I'm talking about junior talent now? Yeah, I, th I think one of the biggest challenges that we have as a tennis nation is that we're a long way from the rest of the tennis world. So we're sitting on the southern tip of Africa. And obviously, the majority of, of tennis is, is really played in Europe and North America and Asia and Australasia and South America to, to a degree. But it's, it's very, there's li very limited opportunities within South Africa for talented young players, although we're starting to change that in terms of bringing more international tournaments to South Africa. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a very, very expensive sport. If you want to make it as a, as a junior in South Africa, you need a bit of luck and you need some financial support. And so what tends to happen is our, our junior structures are pretty good. And we, I think we're producing a lot of talented juniors. Um, but the historical path, or the path anyway, of the last 10 or 15 years has been for the top juniors in this country to try to get a scholarship in the U.S. and study as, at, 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 at U.S. colleges. Um, and unfortunately, what that means is a lot of, of those top juniors go to the U.S. and they tend to stay in the U.S. and tend to get lost to South African tennis. Kevin Anderson's a good example of that, isn't he, in the sense that he... He sort of forged his career through the collegiate system. Yeah, that's exactly right. So you see a, a you see a lot of our, our top top juniors uh, go go to the US college system, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think a lot of them get really good scholarships, and they get to study at a really good university, and a lot of them get good degrees. But as I say, it means that they they tend to migrate overseas and move overseas, and unfortunately, a lot of them don't try and take up professional tennis once they've finished at college. But I, I think the Quite an interesting uh, role model for South African tennis and, and, and what demonstrates that actually players can base themselves in South Africa and still make it on the international stage is Lloyd Harris. So Lloyd Harris, for those of your listeners who don't know, he's 22 years old. He's from Cape Town. Um, last week, he reached a career high of 72 in the ATP singles rankings. And he's, yeah. he bases himself from Cape Town. And he's shown that you can go from juniors and you can transition into professionals and and you can transition to the top 100 in the global world rankings being based in South Africa. So I think that's given a lot of people a lot of hope. Yeah. Uh, what is the standard of coaching? I guess that's always a, a vital thing for talented juniors. Then got to find the right coach that can nurture that talent and maybe have the connections to get that, that player into you know, junior tournaments around the world or certainly around Africa. Do, do we have the, the, 
the right level of coaching across the board in South Africa? Yeah, I think that's in many ways it's a loaded question, and my answer could get me in a lot of trouble, Craig. Because um, <laughs> I think, look, I think we've got some good coaches. Um, I'd, I would say there's not enough South African coaches who necessarily are coaching at the highest level, and by the highest level, I'm, I'm level, I mean on the ATP tour and the WTA tour. And then there's only a handful of coaches who are doing that, who are really being exposed to international best practice on a, a weekly, monthly, annual basis. And so I think, I think that the problem is we, we as I say, a lot, of, a lot of our coaches tend to stay in South Africa and are not necessarily exposed to international best practice. And that does worry me, if speaking very, very honestly, because I think there's a certain level of complacency and, and, and unfortunately there's also a, a certain unwillingness to adapt and move with the, with the times in terms of our coaching fraternity in South Africa. And so that's a worry and that, that's something we, we're trying to address and, and certainly try, something we're trying to do is in terms of raise the level and standard of coaching in South Africa. The other, the other aspect to developing the next Roger Federer from South Africa or so is, is tournament structure. What, for those that don't know, what is the, the sort of junior tournament structure in South Africa? What, what level are they competing at, uh, our best juniors or our top sort of provincial juniors? Yeah, so it, it took me a while to get my head around how tennis works and how the transition tournaments work from, from juniors through to semi-professionals through to professional because I think tennis, we like to make it as complicated as possible. Um, but I think there's the sort of natural path for a for a junior to come through is the junior will learn his his or her trade in South Africa. They will play a provincial tournament. So they let's use a let's use a junior from Cape Town as an example. He or she would play a lot of tournaments within the Western Cape. Once they get to a certain ranking, they would then transition to the national tournaments in terms of our national tournament structure. And I'd say the standard of those those events is is pretty high, and it's, I think the standard is improving year on year. And then once they've sort of uh, got to a certain ranking point at internet at, at, at sort of national tournament level, then they transition into what we call International Tennis Federation uh, Junior events, so ITF Junior events. And those are events are really open to uh, local players. They're open to players from overseas as well, where they can start to test themselves at the at the highest level. And within that, there's actually five tiers. So it starts at five junior five. Then it goes to junior four, then junior three, then junior two, then junior one, and junior A. And so what we've tried to do over the last couple of years is, is really try and bring more of those fives, fours, threes, twos, ones, and A's to South Africa um, so that our top juniors don't necessarily have to always travel overseas to play in those events. They can play in yeah. South Africa or Southern Africa. And then what happens once they've sort of reached the end of their junior career, then they transition into what's called the ITF World Tennis Tour events. So those are $15,000 or $25,000 prize money events for men and women. Um, and then they move into the ATP and the, the WTA pathway. So that's, I've tried to explain it as simple as possible. Yeah. But no doubt it is, yeah. it is quite confusing to the, to the layman who's listening to this. Yeah, but still, it's a, it's a, it's a filtering process. And I guess everyone has to go through that. And uh, yeah, it's about winning and losing. And it's performance-based in the sense that they've got to win those provincial tournaments and get into the national tournament. So it makes logical sense uh, in that way. Uh, you've got these uh, these uh, growth point camps. Uh, just uh, are they part of the junior structure? Are they bringing uh, juniors through? What is that system all about? Yeah, so, so I think one of my first impressions of tennis when I started it three years ago was that tennis in this country is very fragmented. And I think 
what we are starting to do, we know we're near where we want to be, but what we're starting to do is really try and consolidate it and centralize it and so to ensure that um, there's a sort of a, a clear pathway and a clear plan for our juniors. So, and what I mean by a, frac- uh, a fractured or, or a, 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 a ecosystem that's too too fragmented is that a lot of our top juniors were working with their 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 their, their personal coaches, be it in Johannesburg or Bloemfontein or Durban or Cape Town, but there wasn't necessarily a centralised plan or a national plan for these players. And so this is really the national camps are just one aspect of that is trying to create a pathway and a plan for some of our top, top juniors so that we as a federation can work closely with that junior and with their personal coach because that personal coach is very important and obviously the families and support structures of those players. So rather work yeah. together as opposed to uh, working on a fragmented fragmented basis. But that's very much a work in progress. It's going to take a, at least another couple of years before I can I can say to you that we have a very, very clear and professional and high-performance pathway for our top juniors. It's very much a work in progress. Well, at least it's started now and you've got something going. And, um, you know, the other big rider to this is finding players from uh, previously disadvantaged communities. And, I mean, we've just seen that the uh, Aussie Open, uh, Giancarlo Monte has done pretty well. Monte, he's got into the uh, second round. I think he lost in the second round of the juniors there. But, um, you know, are there, are there more Colo Montes out there? I think as a country, we are blessed with a huge amount of uh, sporting uh, ability and sporting potential. And I think it applies across all sports. And I think one thing that as sports we need to get better at, and I think tennis is definitely one of those sports, so I'm not criticizing other sports solely, I'm also criticizing tennis, is really having those structures so that if there is a youngster, be it a boy or a girl with athletic potential, and that youngster wants to play tennis, they're given every opportunity and we as, as a federation, we create that ecosystem that makes it as easy as possible for them to, to make it as a, as a top-class tennis player. So I think there are, there are lots, potentially lots of, of Colomonsis and the female versions of Colomonsis out there. But as a federation, we need to get much better at identifying them and bringing them through. And we've, we're very much in our infancy in that regard. But I think one of, one of the really exciting things we're starting to see is, is the demographics of our junior tournaments and our sort of our national junior tournaments are starting to change. Um, and when I started about three years ago, I'd say it was it was heavily, let's be blunt, white skewed. Um, so I'd say yeah. probably white juniors versus uh, juniors from other communities. It was probably a 90-10 split. And I'd yeah. probably say, based on the data that we're tracking at the moment, that's that's moved away from that. That's It's maybe 65 to 70% white and, and, and 35% or 30% from other communities. And that's a work in progress. I'm, I'm not suggesting we've got there, but I think over the last three years, we are starting to see a change and shift. And these are these are top, top juniors coming through who have, have a real chance of making it from all communities in South Africa. Oh, that's, I mean, I guess tennis courts and access to tennis facilities are not always that easy, certainly in uh, disadvantaged communities. That must be one of the challenges you face. Definitely. So, so if you're going to produce a player, I mean, our, our theory within the federation is that you need to supply three things. You need to supply coaching and good quality coaching and good quality coaching at different ages. Um, you need to provide playing opportunities for those kids because it's all very well having them training and hitting a ball in a development center for six months a year. But are they being exposed to tournaments and are, are they being moved through the tournament phases as they develop? And then critically facilities. Um, and I thought I think we're starting to address the first two 
from a coaching perspective and a, and a playing opportunities perspective. Although we, we haven't necessarily got to every province, and I think that's a valid criticism that some of the maybe the so-called rural provinces uh, can level at tennis South Africa because we're not doing enough in the development space in the rural provinces. Um, but I think we're starting to address coaching and playing opportunities. But the big challenge we have as a, as a sport is facilities and the provision of facilities. And that's yeah. something that's, that we're starting to focus on much more is making sure that we have the right facilities in the right places. And that's something that we need. We're starting to work with at a local and provincial government level to really start to do that. Can you can you put up a sort of temporary tennis court on a in a parking lot for argument's sake that's you know tarred and you can put some sort of cover down? Is that is that one of the alternatives, or do you have to physically construct a tennis court somewhere? Yeah, I mean, I think you you can't just sit back on your hands and say, oh, it's too expensive to build tennis courts in the right places. So I think what you're saying is you need to be be innovative and be creative and find creative solutions to some of these problems. And so for beginner yeah. beginner tennis players, there's much more flexibility in terms of the mm. surface they play on. But once once they sort of transition from being beginners, you need to really give them the right facilities if they're going to progress. And so it's yeah. a, to, to, from a sort of a grassroots mass participation perspective i think there's some flexibility in terms of surfaces but ultimately if you want a junior to start playing tournaments they need to play on a on a on a traditional tennis court yeah and talking about surfaces we there's very few uh say clay courts in south africa for argument's sake and, and grass courts so so you know even our talented youngsters like kevin anderson or lloyd harris they sort of come out of a hard court environment and then they face with all these different surfaces globally is that yeah, at an elite uh, elite level for juniors, would you like to see a, a center with, or maybe we do have a center with lots of different surfaces? I know there are a couple of places with a clay court here and there, but um, yeah, are we, do we have a shortage of those sort of alternative surfaces for our really top juniors to practice on? Definitely, and I, I think it's a massive Achilles heel for South African tennis. So I'll give you one small example. About two and a half years ago, our Fed Cup team um, had to travel to Montenegro, which is obviously in Eastern Europe, to play play the Fed Cup there on clay. And so to prepare the team, uh, Renee Plant, our, cap- our captain, had to find a clay court. And so she found a, yeah. a synthetic clay court for, uh, belonging to a private individual in the Western Cape in Stellenbosch, if I'm not mistaken. So our Fed Cup team basically prepared for for that tie on on a, on a in clay someone's court. back garden. It's literally in someone's <laughs> back garden, and I mean that's just. It's, I mean, it's a creative solution to a difficult problem, but ultimately, it's yeah. not sustainable in the long term. And so, what we're doing yeah. now is we've um, we've signed partnership agreements with Stellenbosch University to build a tennis center there. We've also signed a partnership agreement with Northwest University in Poch um, to, 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 to work on a multi-surface facility there. And that project's ahead of Stellenbosch. So, late, so later this year, I think it's June, it'll be completed. We'll have our first multi-surface facility in South Africa in Northwest University in Poch. And that's hard courts, that's multiple clay courts, and that's even a couple of grass courts as, as well. And I'm not saying that we can sit back and pat ourselves on the back and we've solved that particular problem. but at least if we can start to do those sorts of things and have a multi-surface facility at sea level in the Western Cape, a multi-surface facility that's at altitude in, in Poch, and, and we can actually start to rectify that problem. And, and hopefully in the coming years, we can have three or four multi-surface facilities across South Africa. But one of the reasons that um, no one's really ever been able to deliver a, a particular clay court facility in South Africa is the expense. And it's not so much building the courts that's expensive because it's roughly comparable to building a hard court. It's the maintenance that's the killer. Maintenance in terms of clay, that you have to continue to maintain them with clay. 
and then also yeah. maintenance in terms of water and hydration. Yeah. And so for us, partnering with universities that tend to have that infrastructure and facilities that can support these these clay courts is critical. And that's really why we've gone down that path. And and just broadly speaking, I mean, we're probably a comparable country to Australia in many ways in terms of climate, in terms of the outdoor lifestyle, in terms of, yeah, naturally talented sports people. Um, it seems, and you've touched on those reasons, we should maybe be producing more tennis players than we are yeah, as a layperson looking at it and as a club tennis player. Do you agree with that assessment or is that too simplistic? No, I, I, look, I, I certainly agree that we should be producing more tennis players. Um, and I, it's something that I'm very, very conscious of. And, and I must be honest, something that I'm internally very critical of is that we're not, we're not producing the players that we should be. Because as I said, we've got such athletic ability in this country. Mm. Um, and I, I think one of the things that, that I'm thinking about more and more as CEO of Tennis South Africa is is looking around South African sports in general, looking across all sports. And that's, I think there's pockets of excellence in many sports in this country. So why are we as tennis not trying to learn from those pockets of excellence and trying to adopt some of the methodologies and, and principles and mm. culture that they've created in those sports? And I'll give you one example, rowing. So rowing in South Africa, I think, is, is interesting for me because of the fact that they've managed to produce a credible international high-performance program and produce competitive international athletes on, on a very, very limited budget. Uh, yeah. so, so I really think that as sports, including tennis, but other sports as well, we should really be thinking about how we can collaborate much more closely with other sports in terms of really raising the bar and bringing through those athletes. So that's something that yeah. we're really looking to do moving forward. I know the women's sevens rugby program has actually sort of decided not to look at rugby players. They've gone to find athletes. They've just gone to find someone who can run fast and they'll, they've said, well, let's, let's start there or someone who's strong uh, or yeah, a gymnast or something and say, let's turn them into rugby players. There might be, maybe tennis isn't quite the same, but you find an athlete, you can coach them, I suppose. Yeah, I, th I think that's right. I mean, I, th I think if, if you look at where, where we are as a sport, I think also one of the challenges we have is, and I think this is, is, is the same for many sports in South Africa, is we tend to be quite very male-centric and male-focused. So a yeah. lot of the resources in our sport tend to get directed to the, to the men and the boys, um, unfortunately. So it means the girls sort of get, get left behind a bit or the ladies get left behind a bit. Now, I think as a sport, that's true in tennis as well. And that's if you're starting to see the players that are coming through, the Lloyd Harris's, the Colo Montes, as you've mentioned, it's all boys and men. Um, and I think yeah. one of the things we, are, we do have to address as a federation is what are we doing to produce female high-performance athletes? And so that's a bit of a roundabout way of trying to answer your question because Ilana Kloss, I don't know if you remember Ilana Kloss. Uh, she's yeah, married to, to the great Billie Jean King. She's a very well-known South African tennis player from the 60s and 70s. I mean, she's, she's starting to get more involved in South African tennis in a couple of ways. I mean, and, and, and she's someone that I like to talk to and get, get views from. And her view is from a female athlete perspective. And this, as I say, this goes, hopefully goes some way to answering your question. Tennis should be looking and scouting athletes at primary school netball events and primary school hockey events. And we should yeah. be identifying those athletes and we should be bringing them into our tennis structures. Absolutely. And I mean, I suppose the other aspect to this is something that's aspirational. Um, in terms of professional tournaments, I know we have, a, we have an ITF 
satellite event, if I'm not mistaken. But how important is it to Tennis South Africa to get an ATP or a, or a WTA event uh, back in the country on an annual basis? And I know maybe you could explain what the costs and the implications are, because I know it's not easy uh, to put on a big ATP or WTA event. Yeah, I, I think as CEO of Tennis South Africa, I get asked two questions consistently. So the first question is, when is Kevin Anderson going to play Davis Cup again? <laughs> uh, and the second question, I'm glad is I haven't when, asked that yet. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's on the list, yeah. But uh, and, the sec- and the second question is, is when are we bringing an SA Open and ATP event back to South Africa? Um, yeah. And look, the the strategy we've adopted in the context of big international tournaments is that. We have to rebuild the foundations and we have to rebuild those stepping stones that I referred to earlier in terms of stepping stones, transitioning from juniors to semi-professional international tennis to professional international tennis. And our focus has been on bringing those ITF junior tournaments to South Africa, which we're starting to do. So, for example, we brought an ITF grade A event to Cape Town last year, and that's significant because there's only six, five or six ITF grade A events in the world. Cape Town was the sixth. And okay. that was significant because it, it gives you the highest number of points. And it was significant for Kolo Monsi, who's now ranked 12 in the world in the juniors, because he won that tournament. And he yeah. saw a massive r- ranking jump. We're starting to bring ITF $15,000 and $25,000 tournaments to South Africa so that the likes of Kolo Monsi, as they start to transition from juniors, can play those entry level professional tournaments in South Africa. We've also got a, an ATP challenger in South Africa later this year the first ATP challenger in six or seven or eight years in South Africa, which once again is a stepping stone. And obviously the plan is is once we've got those foundations and stepping stones in place is really to look to aggressively try and bring an ATP or WTA high-profile international event to South Africa. So yeah. that's really our focus. And, and the other challenge we have is, is financial. Um, our exchange rate makes it very, very difficult to bring international tennis to South Africa. So – to bridge, just to give your listeners a sense of how challenging it is to bring an ATP 250 event to South Africa, yeah, which is a good event, but you won't get Federer and Nadal Djokovic playing in that event. Mm. And you have to buy the license because there's only a certain number of weeks available on, on, on the calendar, on the ATP calendar. You have to buy a license for about a million US dollars. Sure. And then to, to run a week, you're in for about 50 million, five zero million rand for a tournament. Wow. And so, look, I'm not saying those sorts of events are not important because they are, but if we were to to somehow find the money to bring a South African Open to South Africa next year, realistically, how many South African players would play in that event? It would be a handful. And so for me, we have to start producing the players first, give them those opportunities from a stepping stone perspective, and then we can start to bring these big events to South Africa. Yeah, I suppose golf... um Although the SA Open has always been on the European Tour calendar, what's happened recently is Ernie Els has hosted it or Louis Oersthausen has hosted it. So these guys who have got great careers overseas come back and because of their pull, they can bring some top players with them. And I guess maybe in the future, that's what you'd like to see from tennis. So Carlo Monsi, hopefully at 24, is doing well in the world and he can you know, urge some players to come back to South Africa and play in an SA Open. Yeah, that's right. And I, I think it, the sort of the interim for us is we recognize the fact that we need to raise the profile of tennis in, the one, in this country. And the way you do that is you obviously produce international players and you produce players playing at Grand Slam level and you produce a Lloyd Harris who plays against Roger Federer in the first round of Wimbledon and suddenly everyone notices him and starts talking about him. And you also mm-hmm. have to bring big name international players to South Africa. So really the interim for us is 
We've obviously got brought Kevin Anderson back to South Africa. He's playing uh, Sunday, the 2nd of February in Soweto. It'll be broadcast live on TV. A w- roughly a week later, it's the match for, for Africa in Cape Town, Bedra yeah. versus Nadal. And these are really high-profile pro- opportunities that get people excited about tennis in South Africa. So tickets, to talk for, about for the, tic- yeah, tickets for the Anderson match all but sold out. Federer and Nadal sold out in 30 minutes or something. So what yeah. it does show is that there's still a massive appetite and hunger for top-quality yeah. tennis in this country, which is exciting, and it's a great opportunity for us as a federation. I mean, the match in Africa is obviously a, uh, a charity focus, and it's an exhibition-type event. Um, as you've just explained, though, it's still important to have those guys here. Uh, do you expect that it will be a proper competitive match, or will it be a lot of sort of underarm serving and hits and giggles, which maybe the tennis purist won't won't enjoy, or they will enjoy for about ten minutes and then won't really want to see these guys compete? What's your expectation of that match in Africa? Sure, you're asking some questions that could be get me into trouble, Craig. Uh, look, I mean, I, th- I think we can't get away from the fact it's an exhibition event. So, if the two were yeah. playing in a final of Wimbledon, the intensity would be different to what will be on show in Cape Town. But I think these are professional athletes, and they're competitive athletes, and they don't want to embarrass themselves, or or and they realise. I think they both players recognise the magnitude of this event. I think it's much bigger than they envisage. So, I think there'll be decent level of intensity but it's certainly not going to be anywhere close to grand slam level yeah and then just uh, other challenges i mean obviously bringing tournaments bringing through players um and now you've just had a situation with lucas satoli our top wheelchair uh player who's had to be suspended for two years because he missed some doping tests uh, just give us a little bit of background to that and sort of what challenges what kind of support can he expect from from the organization yeah, so so Lucas Sotoli, it was announced last week that Lucas has be, has been banned for two years by the ITF, although although it's a retrospective banning, so it c- commenced from September 2019. So he's got about 20 months left on his ban, and he was banned not for testing positive for anything, but it, by by banned because of the fact that he missed uh, three tests uh, within a 12 month period. Um, and so what happens is Lucas joined the ITF doping program and or anti doping program in 2014. So he's been part of this anti-doping program since 2014. And unfortunately, in February 2019, May of 2019, and June of 2019, he missed his tests. Uh, he, he cited family reasons and family emergencies as the, as the reasons for missing all three tests. But unfortunately, he couldn't provide any evidence to corroborate uh, the reasons for missing those tests. And so, unfortunately, it's a fairly straightforward matter. He missed three tests. He couldn't justify why he missed the tests. So in terms of the ITF anti-doping regulations, he's now banned. And yeah. From a Tenant South Africa perspective, we take a, a zero-tolerance policy on these matters. So we support the ITF's decision. And so, I mean, I don't know what his financial situation is or what his lifestyle situation is. Does Can he expect any support from Tenant South Africa or is he cut loose at this stage? Yeah, so the history of wheelchair tennis in this country is interesting in that um, wheelchair tennis um, operated as a completely separate and independent entity in this country until July 2019. So Tennis South Africa okay. took over the running of, of wheelchair tennis in, 20, in July 2019. Um, and so his missed tests in February, May, and June all happened before we took over the running of, of wheelchair tennis in South Africa. So I think in terms of the, the incident that's happened, Tennis South Africa needs to take some responsibility for what happened. And wheelchair Tennis South Africa, which was the, the third party who ran wheelchair tennis for many years in South Africa, needs to take a significant degree of responsibility for what happened. But ultimately, responsibility sits with Lucas. Um, mm. 
And that being said, he's now part of the tennis South Africa family. Since July 2019, he's part of our family. And I think he would be the first to admit he's, he's, he's made some mistakes in terms of missing those tests. But he's part of our family and we're going to look after him. So we've, um, we are in the process of finalizing a support program with him. Um, he'll be, uh, be receiving medical support from Tennis South Africa. He'll also be receiving counseling support via, via a, a, a qualified counselor just to take him through this process because he's obviously very upset and, 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 and hurt by what's happened. Um, but yeah. also, we'll be also be supporting him financially. So if he, if he meets certain criteria, uh, we will be providing some financial assistance. We'll also be helping him with work experience as well. We're yeah. also looking to help him get his co- coaching qualifications as well. So hopefully by the end of this, well, with the 20 months still to, to, to run on his suspension, he'll hopefully he'll come out of this a, a better person, a stronger person, and, and also have some really interesting qualifications that will help him when he eventually decides to step away or, or move away from wheelchair tennis. Well, that's a fantastic approach. And then just uh, lastly, the inevitable Davis Cup question. Not so much about Kevin Anderson, really. Um, you know, we uh, is it a priority to get back into the world group or whatever, you know, the the, the elite of, of the competition? Had that uh, win in Cape Town recently, uh, which was the first step getting back there. And just in terms of the success of the tournament in, in, in Cape Town and the priorities of Davis Cup for the profile of tennis. Yeah, so I mean, let's talk about Cape Town briefly. So we, I think we took our first Davis Cup tie to Cape Town in many, many years in September mm-hmm. of last year. Um, and I think we were quite conservative in terms of the seating infrastructure we put in for the venue. I think we sold out in about two weeks. And the reality was, I think there was about 2,000 people there. The reality was if we'd put in another 2,000 seats and had four or 4,000 people there, we would have sold out in three or four weeks. And I think that's really yeah. exciting for us because that shows that there's a massive appetite for tennis in other places in South Africa, not just Gauteng, where Davis Cup has, has traditionally been played, but also a massive appetite for Davis Cup. Um, and so, look, the da- Davis Cup is important to us. And we obviously want to get back to the highest level. I think from uh, we, we, we're playing in World Group 1 this year, late in a couple, in about a month's time in Bosnia-Herzegovina, which will be a tricky one on clay. But it is, it is important for us to get back to the highest level and play against the big countries. And we certainly saw that with the ATP Cup. So the ATP Cup was, is a new national team event that was launched by the ATP in January 2020. South Africa qualified through it's mainly through Kevin Anderson's ranking and, and Lloyd Harris's ranking. We had Kevin and Lloyd and Raven Klaassen and Kolo Monsi and Ruin Rulofs are playing um, and performing really, really well. They beat um, Chile and they beat France and, and, and unfortunately lost out to the eventual uh, winners, Serbia. So, And that there was a lot of excitement from South Africans about seeing us playing against Kevin playing against Djokovic, representing South Africa. Kevin playing against Monfils, representing South Africa. That was really exciting. So there's a there's still a big appetite for national team tennis in this country, and it's it's something we're very very conscious of. But I would also say that um, as a federation, we have lots of priorities, and Davis Cup is one priority, but it's not the only priority. Fed Cup is a priority. All of these international tournaments we started bringing to South Africa are a priority. So. I think we tend to obsess a bit too much as a federation on Davis Cup to the detriment of some of our other programs. So it's it's important, but it's one of many important things that we as a federation need to focus on. Well, Richard, it sounds like Tennis South Africa is in good hands and you guys have got your priorities organized and uh, obviously have uh, objectives and goals. Good luck. Keep up the good work and let's hope we see some uh, future Rogers or Serenas coming from South Africa in the coming uh, decade or so. Thanks for joining us today. 
Thanks, Craig. Thanks for a very interesting discussion and some difficult questions to answer. <laughs> Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Maverick Sports Podcast and keep reading The Daily Maverick for in-depth news and sports coverage. Let's take a few seconds to tell you about Maverick Insider, our membership community that keeps Daily Maverick going. For a small contribution a month, you can help Daily Maverick survive and even thrive. Our journalism is free to all, but we need your support to keep it that way. All you need to do is go to dailymaverick.co.za forward slash insider and sign up for as much or as little as you want. It makes a huge difference to us and to South Africa. Please also remember to subscribe to the Maverick Sports Podcast and to our Maverick Sports Newsletter. Thank you and until next time. 